0: journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Edel Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. We are tripping down the Bible. We are going back 3,000 years. We are studying the book of Shemot, the book of Exodus. I'm Edel Kazilski. This is 101.5 FM and I'm with you for the next three quarters of an hour learning my favorite topic, and that is learning Torah. Um, Our five books of Moses, that is what the Jews have learned forever and forever and have kept us as a nation um, strong and safe and connected to the one above. And today we are going to be embarking now for the next many weeks um, discussing in depth the plagues of Egypt. We're at the point in the Parsha of Vaera. We are on in chapter 17, verse 14, I believe. Um, no, actually, yes, I'm correct. Just double checking when I finished up last time with you. Yes, we are going to be starting um, chapter seven. I apologize, verse 19, and we are going to be discussing the plagues. Now, one needs to understand that when we are learning this, we are obviously learning what practically happened in Egypt in the time of the plagues. There were really abnormal, unnatural phenomena that happened that eventually convinced good old Pharaoh to let our people go. But as we know, there is the adage that in every generation we should see ourselves as if we are coming out of Egypt. Egypt is really a metaphor for our constraints, our our slaveries that we... we Uh, Struggle in in our lives, and there are many many lessons to learn from the plague. On many on on, from the plagues on many many levels. One on an individual level, in understanding how we have these plagues in our lives, and how they actually affect us, and how we can transcend them. Um, Looking at it on a more national level, going and seeing particularly today, um, I'm 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 really I get exhausted looking at the news and seeing all the destruction that is happening around the world. And we know that whilst we can explain things naturally, and that really was the problem with Pharaoh, right? He just kind of like kept on fobbing it off as as the hand of nature or something that his magicians could pull pull apart. But really, all of these things that are happening in the world are lessons for us, for us to understand that God is talking to us, that he might not be as happy as he should be with us and that, you know, we should take to heart. So um, when we are going through this and we are traveling through this, uh, this, this this discussion, I welcome your comments, I welcome your questions on 34519 or our telegram number oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine. So what I'm going to do first is that we are going to, go through the verses and then understand a little bit more from a historical point of view and then hopefully zoom in on what the plague of blood really means to us and what it is that we can learn from it. So, as always, we look into the text, into the Hebrew, into the original, um, because that is where we get the most information. So, Chapter 7 of the Book of Exodus... It's Parashat Ba'era, verse 19. Ba'yomei Hashem El moshe Hashem says to Moshe, Emor El aharon go and tell Aharon, Kach matcha, take your staff, Unate yatcha al-mimei mitzrayim, and stretch your hands over the waters of Egypt. Al-naharotam, over their rivers, al-ye'orahem, over their canals, al-agmehem, over their reservoirs, al-kol and in every container of water, what will happen? they will become blood. b'chol eretz mitzrayim, there will be blood in the whole land of Egypt, even in wooden barrels and stone jars, blood would be everywhere. So we all know, um, and so does our little kids going all the way back to nursery school, that the first of the ten plagues was blood. And when you look at these verses, we can see that obviously Aharon couldn't go and touch all these bodies of water with his staff. What he did is he extended his hand out and touched the Nile River, And from him touching the Nile River, not only did the Nile River become full of blood, but all these other bodies of water were also transformed into blood. Now, as always, when we are looking at the verses, um, I emphasize all the time we should look in the Hebrew because it suggests much more. It's a very, very interesting way that God commanded um, Moshe to bring about the the, the plague. He says, "By Yom Hashem, El Moshe, Emor Aharon." God says to Moshe, "Say to Aharon." So from here we can infer and we can understand that it was Aaron who struck the Nile with Moshe's staff. Why was that? Why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu bring the plague himself? Which you will see in other plagues, certain other plagues, he himself. Um, was the cause of the other plagues. But right now, with the plague of blood, it is not Moshe that brings about the plague, but Aaron. And the answer is a very, very intuitive and very, very important one. In life, one must never, ever, ever forget the goodness that a person brings upon another, or a circumstance, or Anything inanimate in nature, a thing, a something. So over here, we can see that whilst Egypt was now going to be punished through the river Nile, Moshe could not bring harm to the Nile. Why? Because when he was an infant, infant, the Nile protected him when his mother placed him in a basket and let him float on uh, the waters. The Nile also protected Moses against the Egyptians because, remember, the astrologers had predicted that the Redeemer of Israel would meet his end in water. And indeed, that was the reason why they made a law that made all the the Jewish babies be thrown into the Nile. But as soon as Moshe was placed in the Nile, the astrologers and the magicians assumed that Moshe was dead and they stopped looking for him. And so, since the Nile was a protector of Moshe Rabbeinu, he could not now strike it and bring about negativity. An incredible, incredible lesson in the art of gratitude, that it doesn't matter how negative things are, if somebody has done something for you, always stay in a state of gratitude towards them, thank them. And even if it's not some body, but something, remember to show gratitude as well. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Ail Kozlowski, and uh, we are studying the plague of blood. If you've just joined, we are on chapter seven, verse 20. So just before the break, we spoke about gratitude and how important it is to say thank you. And here you can see that Moshe would not lift up his arm, his hand, against the Nile, um, um, showing a sense of gratitude how the Nile had, in fact, saved him. Now you can see that there is this combined effort that even though God tells Moshe to tell Aharon on face value, Moshe and Aaron did this, Kashe Tziva Hashem, and just as God had instructed, Va-yarem ba-mateh, ba Aaron held the, the, the staff high, Va-yach et hav-mayim, al-asheh v'yeor, he struck the water that was in the Nile, le-einei paroi, in front of the eyes of paroi, le abadav, in front of the eyes of his servants, by or the dumb, and the waters of the Nile turned into blood now, remember that Paro was alone when Moshe warned him about the first plague, but the plague was not executed by Aaron until later when Paro returned with uh with all his courtiers now, why was um the river struck with blood. Let's understand one principle that will be a recurring theme right across all the plagues is that divine justice is exact. And nobody in this world, not you, not me, not even King Pharaoh or anybody in between, can escape the justice of God. Anything and everything that happens to us is a reaction to our actions, good and not good. And so, here, when the 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 water supply of Egypt was turning into blood, there were many many reasons given to why God brought brought this as the first plague. Firstly, um, remember that Pharaoh had slaughtered close on three hundred babies every day. Because he had a terrible psoriasis on his skin, and he was told that he had to immerse in blood. And so he would kill 300 children every single day um, for their blood. The next reason, obvious reason, is that obviously the Egyptians had shed blood by drowning the Israelite infants in the Nile. So now God made all this blood, so to speak, visible for everybody to see. Now we also know that the Nile um, and the, the Nile, the Nile is fundamental to Egypt. It's its main water supply, and it obviously has a huge effect on the populace, right? Um, not only with the creatures that are living in it, but they they gave it, it flooded, and it irrigated the whole of Egypt. And so, by the Nile turning into blood. All the life in the water died. The river ceased to have its unique properties. And more importantly, and as we spoke last week, when Moshe comes to uh, tell Pharaoh about the Nile, where was Pharaoh? He was there, and they thought that Pharaoh was a god. The Nile was a god. And in fact, um, by changing it into blood, what God was really doing and saying to the Egyptians was the fact that you think the Nile was a god. Look what is going to happen. The Nile um, is going to turn its back on you. Your god, so to speak, is going to turn back on you. Verse 21, Now the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile smelt. It's stinking. it's The Egyptians were not able to drink water from the Nile. And this blood was throughout the entire land of Egypt. Okay, now, very interestingly, if we go take another time where civilization was destroyed, our minds easily go back to the situation with Noach, when the Great Flood came. Now, when the Great Flood came in the time of Noach, even though the, um, all life on land was killed, interestingly in that scenario the fish weren't harmed. Now we are seeing a difference. Here all the fish are being killed. You may ask why. And the answer is pretty simple because the flood came to the, 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 the world because before the great flood the biggest sin was sexual misconduct. It was rampant, not only amongst humans, but even the animals and the birds mated incorrectly, often with strange species, and so when God was cleansing the world, he had to unfortunately have cleansed the animals and the birds, and they were killed, killed by the flood. The fish in the time of Noah did not crossbreed, so they were spared. But now, in this scenario, In Egypt, the fish had already participated in the crime. Why? Because when the Jewish babies were drowned in the Nile, who ate up the bodies? The fish. And so here you can see how exacting divine retribution is. The fish also deserve to die. Another reason why the Torah is mentioning that the fish um, died was to just drive home the point that the water had actually turned into blood and it wasn't an illusion. Because when Aaron struck the Nile, the water turned into real blood, not just like blood-colored water. It had the taste and the smell of blood. It had the same chemical and physical composition of blood. And the fact that all the fish in the water died Proved to the Egyptians that this was not a, a, an illusion, a magic trick, trick because that wouldn't obviously um, call them, uh, kill them. Also, um, the fact that the fish died, we know that the fish obviously swim really, really underground. Um, the fact that the fish died made it very obvious that all the water from the top of the water down to the bottom, down to the seabed or the riverbed, had turned into blood. Now, the blood, while everybody like has this image in their minds that the Nile turned into blood, the truth of the matter was that the entire Egypt was filled with, with blood. If an Egyptian had water in his mouth at the moment that the, the plague struck, it turned into blood. The Egyptian idols became covered in blood. Jars of food were polluted with blood. The beds of the Egyptians were found to be soaked with blood. When an Egyptian sat on a chair, he would find himself sitting in a puddle of blood. The Egyptians walked around with all their clothing soiled in blood. Okay, And they couldn't find water. It didn't matter what they tried to do. They couldn't find water. And eventually, you can just imagine... We know what it's like, God forbid, when we don't get water for a while. When stocks run out in the shops and there is no more water, then you become desperate. And so the Egyptians ran around trying to go find other sources of water. But as we learned last week, the plague of blood struck from the tip where the Nile entered into uh, Egypt, um, from the north all the way down to the south when it exited all the water, all the bodies of water, um, including the Nile, had turned into blood. And if they tried to drill for water, as the water came up, it changed into blood. Eventually, they became very, very, very frustrated, and they landed up going to the Jews in Goshen. Now, what was happening in the Jewish camp? Well, in the Jewish camp, there was water. The Jews had fresh, fresh water. So they would go and say, pour us some water. The Jew would give them them water and what would happen is that is that it would turn into blood. If they tried to have two straws or tried to drink from the same bottle of water, the water would go into the mouth of the Jew and the blood would go into the mouth of the Egyptian. There was only one way for an Egyptian to get water. And that was by paying for water in Goshen. And this becomes a process where you might think, well, that's extortionistic, that's not fair. Why would the Jews do such a thing? They didn't do such a thing. But remember, the Jews had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, some say 210 years. They never ever got a slave wage even. They never ever were recompensated for all their effort. And so as you will see, through the processes of the, of, of the plagues, the, they landed up amassing fortunes of money because the Egyptians were so desperate, but in that they were being repaid for their slave labor. And this again, I want to bring to your attention the idea of divine judgment. What goes around comes around goes around again and one can never ever escape it. And there is always a divine scale that is going to equalize. So we start seeing the equalization of what was happening here. So this was the first part of the Jews starting to be paid back for the 210 years of slavery and servitude. By to now what happened was that Pharaoh called his his magicians and he said to the magicians can you do the same thing they did the same thing they did the same thing with them made black magic and what was the consequence of that meaning that the Egyptians could change water into blood Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart the and he did not listen, Kashe Deber Hashem, just as God had predicted uh, uh predicted. By Yeef Paroy, and Paroy turned away, by el Elba, he simply went back to his house, Fedor Shat, Libo, Gam, Lazot, and he didn't pay any more attention to this in- entire story. But Yekperu Komits Rhyme Svivot Hayer Main. All the Egyptians dug around the well. They were dug, d- digging for, for. They were digging wells. They were trying to, because they couldn't drink any water from the Nile. Um, but even when they dug there, that also turned into blood. Apparently, the only water they could was to use salt water from the Mediterranean Sea and heck, who knew about des- desalinization in those days? 7 days passed, that means that the plague lasted for 7 days after God struck the Nile can you see that even though Moshe and Aaron were the agents it says here that God struck the Nile so let's just take a few steps back to understand what happened here the Egyptian wizards had the the the, the, the Jewish people bring Pure water from Goshen. And they showed Paru that they also could transform water into blood. They had a whole communion with demons called Shadin. Okay? Um, which is a lower level than true sorcery. And that's what they did. But they, nevertheless, while they could change water into blood, it was an optical illusion because they could not come close to duplicating Aaron's feet. Because Aaron had caused all the water in Egypt, far, near, to turn into blood. And the Nile was transformed, as I told you, into blood for a 40-day journey upriver. And as soon as the water of the Nile turned into blood, okay, um, it stayed like that for seven days. So while the wizards, on the other hand, could transform small bottles of water into blood, they could not copy what Aaron did. But what did Paroi choose to focus on? He chose to focus on the fact that Moshe and Aaron had done nothing more than a skillful magic trick. Okay, and he just this is this is the way that he just moved things around. Now, what I want to share with you is that you can we we can see throughout history that we have certain um, kings who are stubborn and who do not believe in God. Okay, and denied God. But at the end, they land up, um, in trouble. Well, let's talk about a few of them. One is the famous Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king that came to destroy the temple. He, preve- he pretended that he too was divine. He would exclaim, he would exclaim, I shall ascend to heaven on a cloud. And it says that God would reply back and you will be cast, cast into the depths of the depth. And what happened in his story is that God eventually banished Nebuchadnezzar to a wilderness where the former emperor had to sustain himself with grass, like an animal. And the animals considered him one of their own kind. And even after Nebuchadnezzar died, he was subjected to the greatest shame and humiliation and the Babylonians could not believe his son, his name was um, Merodach, okay, They didn't even believe there's his son Merodach, that his father was actually dead. He had to go into the forest, drag his father's corpse out from the grave, tie it in iron chains, and show it to the people. That was Nebuchadnezzar. Very interestingly, and on a side note, um, one of the um, ideas is that when it comes to the end of days, when it comes to the final redemption, before the final redemption all these evil people will be reincarnated again so that they will see the complete destruction of who um, of, of what they created and who they thought they were they are they, they, they were. And uh I'm not going to get into it completely, but um, there are certain leaders today in the world that are reincarnations of really evil people in times gone by. One was the infamous um uh Sudan Hussein, okay. And if you remember how he was captured and what he looked like, he and his end meted the same end as Nebuchadnezzar. And there is a lot of Kabbalistic thought around the fact that he was in fact a reincarnation of of Nebuchadnezzar, and he got his uh sorry punishment, even now in this world. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Egel Kozolsky. We are talking about arrogance and we are talking about the fact that there were kings in history, not only Pharaoh, there was Nebuchadnezzar, there was also Chiram, the king of Tzur, who proclaimed himself as a god and landed up into nothing. He landed up. being finished off, and another king called Yorash, who was the king of Yehuda, and he too thought himself as a god, um, but then he too landed up being completely destroyed. Now I want to take a couple of minutes and, and, and expound more on understanding what does blood mean for us in our in our day and age. What is the plague of blood? How do we understand it? Um, we can see that the Egyptians went through a very, very difficult time. So just by way of parable and as an introduction, okay, um, this is a story. It's a parable told by the Hasidic master Reb Nachman of Breslev. So let me tell you the parable and then we can get um, furthermore an understanding on it. Reb Nachman tells us there was once a traveler who was stopped by a highway robber. robber and the highway robber demanded his money bag at gunpoint. Okay, okay, said the traveller, I'll give you my money, but please, if I come home empty-handed, my wife will never believe that I was robbed, and she will accuse me of squandering the money, or gambling, or drinking, and she'll beat me mercilessly. Please do me a favour. Please fire several bullets through my hat, so I can prove to her that I was held up. Okay? The robber saw no reason not to comply, and so he shot several times through the man's hat. Thank you so much, said the, the traveler, but, gee, you don't know my wife. She will say I punched at the hat and that these were not bullet holes at all. So let's just make it more real. Take my coat, shoot several bullets through at a close range, and it will leave like powder marks, and that will convince him for sure. So when the traveler saw that the uh, he, he did that, the, the robber did that, when the traveler saw that the robber had pulled the last of the trigger, that that he'd hit an empty chamber, he himself pounced on the robber, gave him a good ring, knocked him to the ground, retrieved his money bag, and he ran away. That's the parable. What was Reb Nachman trying to teach us? Well, Reb Nachman goes and says, you know, each and every human being, each and every single one of us has a, a thief. That thief we call the negative inclination, and it lingers within us. And that negative inclination is always continuously trying to rob us of our inner good, of our spirituality. Yet, many of us discover the willingness and the power to battle our feet only after that thief has fired all his bullets against us. Meaning, only after we have allowed our unhealthy addictions, our impulses to consume our lives, do we realize that they were hollow, they were empty, and we finally find the courage to subdue the theme and embark on a path of recovery. 9 out of 10 times, almost 99 out of a 100 times, we as human beings only turn around and start looking at our lives and where we are and where where we've come from when we have basically hit rock bottom. When those negative impulses and that negative inclination, or in Hasidic terminology, the Nepesh Baham is the animal soul, has got the better of us and has shot a lot of bullets through us. Okay, so why am I telling you this? Because this is the story really of Paroi, Paroi is having bullets shot at him. Okay, He's being pulled away all the time in understanding that, no, this is just an act of nature. No, this is something that my magicians can do. And eventually he will come to a point where he will hit rock bottom and he will have no option, no more cognitive understanding anymore to go and say, I'm not letting the people go because. He eventually does let the people go. And so, when we look at the ten points, the, sorry, the ten plagues, Kabbalah, our mystical teachings, teach us that there are ten points of energy, or if you want to call it ten characteristics, that make up each person. The first three are the subconscious identity of the soul and its cognitive powers, and then we've got seven points of energy Which are the emotional persona of the soul. Okay? And really, at the end, what we need to accomplish in life is to take these ten soul powers and work on them and transform them from being connected to the negative and change them and transforming them to be a vehicle for the positive. So let's look quickly at blood. And as we go through the plagues, we will understand more and more about what each one is telling us. Okay? Now, blood is the lowest uh lowest level of the spherox and it's the sfera of Malchut. Malchut is really a discussion around confidence. Now let's understand this a little bit more. The first plague, okay, when the Nile River changed into blood was a physical symbol of the destructive confidence that was like it was the hallmark of Egypt. Okay. They were confident geographically, they were also confident psychologically. now there is such a thing as constructive confidence. when a person has a constructive confidence you build your spiritual character you foster sensitivity to others. Egyptian confidence is that which will breed dominance and exploitation exploitation of other people. So we can go and say that when one's perception of confidence becomes corrupt, it can lead that person to generate rivers of blood. Exactly what the Egyptians did. Exactly what Hitler did. Because again, we spoke about the fact that the River Nile did what? It embodied the source of Egyptian confidence and security. We said, and we understood that the Nile sustained the entire country's agriculture. And that's why the Egyptians chose and served the Nile as a god. When the Niles of the river, sorry, when the river waters of the Nile turned into blood, it reflected the fact that this perverse nation had turned confidence that should breed positive into a position of strength, the ability to, to, to slaughter and to butcher countless innocent human beings. And that's why God brings blood as the first plague to hack that down, to destroy that for the Egyptians. And that is the lesson we need to learn. This is 101.9 Chai FM.